Hey guys, how we doing? It's Jawad here with Hit The Apex Podcast. A little later this week than you would have expected. Well, you know, not for me anyway. We got a week off this weekend, so I thought, you know, gives you more time to listen to it if um, I come in on the Friday, feel a bit more fresh and not having to do it after work or anything like that. But um, yeah, plenty plenty to talk about as always. <laughs> uh, big, big weekend of racing gone by um, in... Hungary, of course, with the F1, then you had supercars again at the Sydney Motorsport Park and um, MotoGP for for those fans out there and IndyCar as well, so you had everything and I watched, you know, pretty much all of it. (laughs) uh, Saturday was like a 13-hour day um, minute from when I woke up, you know, close to 11am in the morning, had the IndyCar race on um, at that time here, night race in Iowa, and then all the way to, you know, the Formula 2 race, which finished, I think, like 2 o'clock in the morning the following day, so good fun with that, but, you know, it's kind of making up for all that lost time that we've had. So, yeah, I hope everyone's doing okay. If you're in Melbourne, make sure you're wearing a mask now. (laughs) Seldom do I do PSAs, but, you know, at the moment, I think it's more important than ever to to be on top of this and everything with the, the pandemic situation. Just, you know, it's, I guess, on the other side of the country, sorry, on the other side of the world, (laughs) some people might um laugh if i say perth is like on the other side of the world it's not it's just across the country somewhere um yeah you know on the other side of the world certain parts probably a lot more on top of their situation with with covid than we are here unfortunately so you know not much we can do apart from follow the guidelines that have been given by the you know health officers the the government as well so yeah gray days i like to i like to say it's um quite a few gray days lately same in hungary too with the f1 on the weekend they they looked pretty gray in a lot of ways with you know the weather that that being the obvious one but then even just um how the race panned out and how it just left everyone feeling very you know hollow that Mercedes have come and smashed the competition essentially and Lewis Hamilton in particular you know honing in on a lot of records his 86th win he achieved so you know what five wins now from equaling Schumacher's tally of 91 then you've got you know the seventh world title as well which at the moment now he's taken the lead in the championship for the first time this year to just that performance it (laughs) it did leave everyone feeling very you know a a bitter taste in their mouth again which you know you go back through the years 2015 I think was the last time where it just was what do you call it um it just yeah you know it was not even a Mercedes domination it was one driver who was on top of it and you know you can't fault them for their performance the way that they've built this team and the way they've kept kept progressing i mean how interesting was it to hear that um mercedes gains that they've made on the the power unit side this year and performance was due to the fact that they were trying to beat ferrari last year who then we found out were running essentially an illegal engine you know doing some um dodgy stuff bit of trickery with the oil burning and everything so you know, that caused Mercedes to work a bit harder, work around the clock more to, to try and come up with a better 
better package. And as a result, we've got this world-beating car, the W11. <laughs> um, and you can't fault them, you know, that's that's just Mercedes, that's how they've been for the last, you know, since 2014 when we switched over to the hybrid turbo regulations. And again, I want to emphasise that the problems that we have in the sport at the moment in terms of, you know, levelling out the playing field and, you know, one team dominating all the time. It's almost a leg- like legacy issues from or a legacy from the sport's previous owners where they they set it up so it wasn't really a meritocracy. You know, you had such an uneven balance when it came to distributing distributing your prize money and everything um there was such an uneven or you know unfair playing field as far as you know small teams being allowed to compete uh, against the big big teams and you know with with the manufacturers essentially being unbeatable in this instance unless your name's Renault <laughs> but again the future which you know now has been pushed back to 2022 I think we're gonna see a much better Formula One as far as competitiveness is concerned and it being a lot more accessible and you know equal as far as the teams and drivers are concerned but for the meantime this is what we've got to put up with you know and I say that in the most nicest way possible because I, for one, am very grateful that, you know, Formula One is still running. We get to watch the racing, you know, whether it's three weeks in a row or, you know, every every couple of weeks. Um, and we've got a season that we can actually um, tune into in 2020, given everything that's going on. So, yes, I'm grateful that we have that. But at the same time, you know, if it's just going to be a Mercedes snooze fest, as some people say, then some of the more casual viewers or some of the newer fans who don't, you know, want to sit there unless we have races like, you know, the first Austrian Grand Prix or German Grand Prix last year, Brazil, then, you know, they're going to tune out and maybe be lost to the sport, you know, before 2022 and the the new regulations come in there. So why not let's get into talking about the Hungarian Grand Prix um, instead of all this philosophical jazz that I'm going on about, you know, it's, it's, it's food for thought really. And I think, some of us who want to play the patient game and, you know, see how things pan out. I mean, you know, we've been through anyone who's watched Formula One for more than, you know, 10, 15 years will know that domination and, you know, these eras that we have with teams being on top is is very cyclical. Like Mercedes have kind of transcended that with what they're doing because we did have that big change in aero regulations in 2017 and they still were the team that won and that was as a result of them executing better like they didn't have the fastest car all the time because ferrari you know 2017 2018 were a lot quicker they had a more reliable car not reliable but more balanced car than the mercedes mercedes was a diva as they kept saying so the fact that, you know, they were still able to win the championship and then win with races to spare as well just is a testament to how good the team as a whole is. So, which, you know, people don't really care about. Some people are like, oh, well, they're still dominating, but it's still very much a team effort. And shout out at the moment too as well for the teams and the crews in Formula One and other forms of motorsport who might be away from home for the next while, you know, while they're having to do racing and do the racing in their bubbles. I talked a lot about last week how, 
teams from supercars who are based in Victoria here have basically had to to go on the road and live out of their live out live on the road because you know they can't come back to Victoria due to the border closures and everything so yeah shout out to you guys without you we wouldn't have the competition and I think you know people when they're bashing the sport and stuff like that need to be a bit more mindful and grateful about these sort of things as well that it isn't all achieved by you know robots or anything there's a human side to it as well and they're what make it and you know whether it's the successful teams you know whether it's Mercedes being the best you got to thank you know every individual that puts in for that effort you know for that result and then even the teams that struggle you know like you got to remember that there's a person on the other end who is trying their best and you know for whatever reason it's not um coming to fruition they're they're held back they've got limitations in certain departments you know it all comes around goes around so thank you for for putting on the show still it is you know for people like us it's it's amazing so yeah Without further ado, let's actually talk about the race and, you know, I mean, kind of avoiding it given that there wasn't much to talk about as far as the, the race win and the, the lead was concerned, but there was still plenty to take away from it um, and it was, I guess, our first wet race, you could say, of the year. I'm sure everyone would have been licking their lips at the start of the race when they, or pre-race when they saw that the track was wet and the intermediate tyres were being prepared. Um, but then ultimately, <laughs> Lewis Hamilton and it lapped every car up to sixth position. So, you know, that they just managed the race really well, had a comfy lead from the start, um, while Valtteri Bottas had a bit of a dodgy start, you could say, kind of... It was almost a jump start, but wasn't. You know, there was a lot of talk about that throughout the race that, you know, why aren't the stewards investigating it? But they found that, you know, he didn't make any gains per se because he did ultimately drop down a few positions. And again, you know, Bottas finding trouble, which, you know, when you talk about Bottas 2.0, 3.0, whatever version of Bottas we're up to now, um, he can't be making mistakes like that if he is to challenge for the championship this year and possibly even win it of Lewis, you know, I'm a bit disappointed. Not that, you know, I'm trying to bash on him. I am a fan of Bottas as well, and I know quite a few people are, you know, um, and I say this with the most respect I can that, you know, from from the next race onwards, there can't be any more mistakes like that because in the end what happened is he came back and finished third. He ran out of laps, essentially, you could say, um, to pass Max Verstappen um, or he could have been a bit more, you know, could have gone for the the jugular a little bit more. But, yeah, it wasn't a repeat of um, the Styrian or Steiermark Grand Prix that we had last time where he he had the better tyres, didn't have front wing damage like Max and was able to um, come back and finish second. And speaking of front wing damage and Max, how's that outlap from the pits to the grid? <laughs> you know, I was I was still watching the MotoGP race at the time um, because they were doing the podium ceremony, and I'll talk a bit about that later. Um, and I have, you know, a couple of people text me saying, Where, what, what's happened to Max? And I'm like, what do you mean what's happened to Max? I'm like, the race hasn't started yet. And then all this chatter about how he ended up in the barrier on the outlap. <laughs> and, you know, the team put in an incredible effort on the grid to 
to repair that um, front end of the car. There was damage to the suspension that needed to be fixed as well. And just in the nick of time, um, they were able to to be ready for the start of the race. And he only qualified in seventh as well, which again, you know, when you look at Red Bull and where their expectations were for this year, it's a pretty disappointing start, you know, to go from zero points in the first race, um, then a podium for Max in the second race, and then again podium this time, uh, but qualifying, you know, 1.4 seconds behind the Mercedes in dry conditions, it is pretty pretty disappointing and you would have expected at a circuit like this where it was more two Red Bull suiting that they would have been much much closer and again that's where you say ah well maybe championship over (laughs) is it is it over insert Nico Rosberg meme there and speaking of which I'm not the only one probably who thought during the race when you saw the, I think it was the Heineken fan wall, um, and then Nico Rosberg popped up on that. I'm like, surely someone's going to do a little, you know, dub or, you know, superimpose the the is it over meme on that. So, you know, you could do that with championship over, (laughs) is it over, um, for for the Mercedes' rivals. So that was something to laugh about during the race for sure. So, yeah, Max... Red Bull, it's, <laughs> that's another tricky one, and they've just built a car, it seems, that's not very, you know, it's a bit too responsive, I guess, it's not handling very well, it's very twitchy, um, Honda have delivered as far as the power unit's concerned, but it's just the car that Red Bull have come up with has not been um, the most balanced beast, and as a result, it's causing Alex Albon a lot of grief as well, and there was a lot of, um, chatter around Albon over the weekend, a lot of criticism coming, you know, from Red Bull side as well, that, you know, he qualified down in 13th, you know, and then the, what do you call it, the Sharks start circling, same thing that happened to Pierre Gasly last year, even though for Albon it's only been three races, and Red Bull have a much harder car, um, that even, you know, Max Verstappen, isn't able to get the best out of at the moment you know he is driving the wheels off that thing and the best he can do is second but then you know like 10 seconds behind uh Hamilton and the Mercedes so spare a thought for Albon at the moment and it was nice to see that his um good friend George Russell came to um stand up for him after qualifying saying that oh Red Bull are just making him look silly at the moment and uh Max you know being the the cheerful chap that he is was like mind your own business please George you don't know anything what's going on so I thought that was a bit you know that was a bit unnecessary because you know George is standing up for his mate there um and it kind of appears from you know from where we're standing on the outside and I guess that's where Max has a point too that you don't know what's going on internally but from externally it certainly looks like that um Red Bull is very much a one driver team and that's not for the lack of trying from from Albon's side, but it seems they've firmly placed the eggs into the Verstappen basket, but at the same time it hasn't given the other driver a car that he's able to to at least get results out of. Like, you look at the Mercedes relationship there, both drivers, you know, they can get one-two on any given day. Um, they both, you know, seem to like the car as it is, even though, you know, Bottas, I guess, to some will be just the wingman. So if, if Red Bull want that out at Albon, then they're going to have to deliver on their end too as far as the from the car side is concerned. So 
that was the thing about Albon. Um, ended up finishing um, fourth in the race. Sorry, fifth in the race in the end because um, the racing points, tracing points um, were pretty quick as well as you would have expected and actually got some good results to show for it as well. Lance Stroll uh, qualified third, so good good result for him. Um, and a key weekend, I guess you could say, for Stroll as well, given that the, um, the, the press were out like hounds, you know, about um, the future of who's going to be driving at that team next year and um you know the consensus pretty much is unfortunately um that you know because he is you know the son of the boss that he's not going to get the flick and Sergio Perez kind of conceded this as well saying that you know it's kind of obvious who would have to make way if Sebastian Vettel was to come into that team next year when they uh, rebrand as Aston Martin, and you know, you know, a dad wouldn't sack his own son from the team, you know. And even though there was some talk about potentially uh, Stroll Senior finding Junior a, a ride somewhere else, or maybe like put him on the sidelines for a year to to um, you know as third driver or something or to to be reserve driver but um, you know it kind of increasingly is becoming a bit more um, clear or you know just the reality of it that you know Sergio Perez the the guy who you could say saved this team from itself back when they were forced India and they were about to go under the the wealth of um, sponsorship that he brings to the team the experience that he brings to the team and you know, like, the story of Sergio Perez is something, another. again, you know, <laughs> you could go on for another whole podcast about how he got the shot at McLaren, then you could say that, some people could say that he wasted that shot, ended up at Force India's door in 2014, but since then he's basically become a completely new driver, he was able to get podiums every year for the last few years since he joined them in 2014 uh you know super reliable in the race apart from when he and Esteban Ocon were having their little blues together so it would be a great shame that when this team does rebrand and you know enter the, their new era that he's not a part of it given that he has contributed so much to it in the first place so yeah Stroll his race started third finished fourth in the end couldn't convert the result but still a, a haul of points and I guess for him to out qualify and out race his teammate as well probably a bit of personal a uh, bit of a personal comeback to silence some of the critics because you know I'm sure the nepotism tag is going to be used quite a bit when talking about Stroll Jr and the fact that on paper his results don't stack up to Perez a lot so you know if he can put in those performances on track then it might make the the decision a bit easier but at the same time there's a lot of sentiment and um passion for Checo as well even coming out of his home country in Mexico um, from some high up people too I understand so yeah that'll be one to see how it pans out and again you know I think with Sebastian Vettel it's hard to pass up the opportunity for a four-time world champion to come into your team to be an ambassador especially if you're going to be a top team soon you know and representing a brand like Aston Martin as well so you know unfortunately it's just one of those things where you've got to then make that difficult decision to um, let go one of your drivers so back to the race anyway early on about lap four we saw 
the leaders start to come in and switched over slick tyres. Most of them went onto the medium tyre, as you would have expected, though Ferrari somehow thought the soft tyre would be good for Charles Leclerc, and we, we kind of heard about it quite a bit later on in the race. I don't have the exact quotes, but um, the new... Um, audio-to-text uh, radio messages that they put on the screen. I think there was uh, something that popped up that um, then ended up on Formula Dank, the subreddit, <laughs> as like a summary of 2020 for, for, for a lot of people. So, uh, you know, I might find that one later or you guys can dig it up if, you, if you're on Reddit. Um, it would be it'd be pretty funny but um yeah Leclerc again you know Ferrari strategy kind of um doing him over in that respect and ended up finishing outside the points which was unfortunate he had a good wheel-to-wheel battle with his um new teammate um (laughs) his new teammate for next year Shaq how did I forget his name? <laughs> his new team, I was going to say Charles Leclerc. So Leclerc's new teammate next year is himself. How would that be? That'd be pretty funny. Um, no, Carlos Sainz, he had a good battle with him, but Sainz ultimately was able to um, finish ahead of him in 10th um, and take P9, but then there was a few penalties that allowed uh, Sainz to jump up a bit further, but Leclerc still finished in 11th, so there was no points available to him. Sebastian Vettel, again, bit of a bit of a messy race, kind of just marooned in the midfield at the moment, which is a bit unfortunate for Ferrari, but there's a lot of things going on in the background they've ended up doing some kind of reshuffle as far as their staff is concerned you know which is it's good to see that they've reshuffled it reshuffled people in the departments rather than start putting their heads on chopping blocks and stuff like that so you know that is I think a very um what do you call it very mature way very evolved way for Ferrari to do it and you know sixth place for Vettel in the race really a bit nowhere it's just yeah you know what what do you do and he's lucky he was he was lucky that he didn't get um Sergio Perez round him up in the the final part of the race so Perez came in finished seventh behind him um and of course they were behind Albon and Stroll uh, ahead to round up the top seven Ricardo Daniel Ricardo ended up seventh picking up some points for Renault pretty crucial bit of a bit of a nothing race I guess for them Ocon you know down in 14th not really great for him either Um, other people who didn't really convert when it came to qualifying George Russell he was ahead of Albon that's why you know he was a bit shocked to to be up in 12th Um, and both Williams through to Q2 which then uh, Latifi's race sorry uh, Latifi's race was pretty dreadful as well you know to to get you know career best qualifying get out of q get out of q1 um look good for the race but then you know you had an unsafe release penalty you had a couple of spins as well and ultimately ended up five laps down which is yeah pretty embarrassing (laughs) um yeah and yeah cue the opportunity for people to come in and uh, give him a bit of a beating but um yeah it was it's not the greatest race for him and then george as well finishing down in p18 so williams bringing up the rear gotta do a shout out though to to haas so haas um decided to bring both their cars in on the formation lap um to switch over to slicks they thought you know they might um the track has dried up reasonably enough to do that to take that risk and um the strategist who made that call was, uh, you know, was injured as well, apparently. So, you know, they're doing a good job there to, to 
make that call whilst injured um, and then there was a bit of a penalty that came for them after and that's as a result that saw Magnuson, who finished in ninth originally was supposed to get two points ended up dropping to 10th to, to just get the one point but still a point for Haas which is very important and they they were as high as third and fourth at one stage in the race so I'm sure at that point they would have said stop the race stop the race you know, like Australia a couple of years ago, and then both ended up having tyre failures. The wheels really came off that race for them, pun intended. So the breach in that instance was, you know, driving the car alone and unaided, um, that, you know, they were given this call from the radio um, or from their strategists on the outlap, or the formation lap, I should say, to come in and everything. So, you know, this is a rule, I think. It was introduced back in two thousand. 15 or 16 when you know there was a lot of criticism about Nico Rosberg the way he was driving his car he was getting a lot of information from the pit wall and from his engineers so they really enforced that rule back then but I don't think it's one that we've really heard about in the last couple of years um, which you know put two and two together if you want I'm not going to do it but you can if you want (laughs) so they were found to be in breach of that rule which again you know Really, given that, you know, the stewards have kind of made this new and the, you know, the stewards have kind of made this new thing where rather than going by the book, you know, what's written in the rule book, you know, to penalise and hand out penalties that way, they're going to just do it, you know, judge each case by case, you know, look at the context as well of it. And then the argument here is that when you look at the context, I guess, they were trying. They made the right call as far as you know, maybe even safety is concerned. But um, that wasn't the case for the stewards. They instead, you know, gave uh, what do you call it? You know, they were investigating Red Bull for using leaf blowers to dry out, or supposedly to dry out Alex Albon's pit box. Uh, sorry, or grid box, I should say. So they were investigating something like that. You know, they dismissed Valtteri Bottas to start. Um, there was also the incident from the last race in in at the Red Bull ring brought up as well with uh, Ricardo a bit filthy still with Lance Stroll for that uh, last lap last lap pass. So bit bit all over the place at the moment. Stewards not going to give them too much grief. I think you know they cop enough as it is, but um, a bit of consistency might be nice heading ahead because until now it's been pretty good. And you know with new race director Michael Massey as well bringing in that um, mentality, I guess, that we see in supercars of, you know, not really going super by the book, you know, looking at the context of the situation and then um, applying a penalty or, you know, dismissing a penalty or dismissing an incident um, through that. So hopefully we don't see much more of this kind of stewarding the what we've seen over the last couple of weeks and we get back to what we saw last year which was which was a lot better and shout out again Daniel Ricciardo mega stint on the medium tire 42 laps to be able to finish in that position um he wasn't really bothered by anyone behind anyway so I guess just hoovering up the points for Renault where he can um a knock on as I said unfortunate race Alfa Romeo just lacking pace all around it's it's pretty disappointing to see Kimi Raikkonen kind of nowhere or you don't even notice that Kimi Raikkonen's on the grid anymore he's just, he's that quiet anyway that you know you have a hard time you know seeing whether he's actually racing at the moment then you know especially if he's just 
uh, hovering around the back of the grid. He still beat his teammate, though, despite getting a penalty for being out of position at the start. So that was as a result of the Haas cars um, coming into the pit lane after the formation lap. So whether it's a lack of the, the power that, um, you know, is gone on the Ferrari power unit or just, you know, the chassis at the moment is a little bit all over the place. Alpha don't look too great either. And, yeah, you know, Kimi Raikkonen as well, his... You know, contract is up at the end of this year, and whether this will be his last year in F1 as well, you kind of don't want to see him go out um, on a bit of a damp squib. So, yeah, that's that's the race there, pretty much in a nutshell. Um, Lewis Hamilton just amazing again, and fastest lap as well at the end of the race to get that um, bonus point in the championship. So, five point lead that he has now over Valtteri Bottas, and then when you look at the gap behind to to Max Verstappen, it's pretty big. It's pretty big, but it's like 20-something points, 25 points or something like that, so easily a race win behind now. Lando Norris still sitting pretty up there in in fourth, even though he wasn't able to score points, unfortunately. It was a bit of a tough race for McLaren, but still a point for Carlos Sainz was uh, quite important, but um, when you look at, you know, some key names in the championship standings, how far behind they are, you got Leclerc down in seventh, um, only on 18 points, and then compare that to Hamilton's 63, Vettel only on nine points, so hasn't even moved out of single digits, and he's down in 10th in the championship as well, so there's really a lot of catching up to do, and then when you look at the Constructors' Championship, it's just, yeah, that's when you can say, is it over? I've used that one too many times today. Sorry, I won't use it again. Maybe, maybe not. Um, 121 points for Mercedes ahead of Red Bull, 55 points. So, yeah, it's it's a big gap. And then McLaren sitting one point ahead of Racing Point at the moment in third. And then Ferrari, like, you know, quite a way behind them too. So, yeah, who would have thought Ferrari would have been down in fifth in the championship at the moment? It's, yeah, <laughs> but hopefully things um, with this new restructure as well internally, um, they can start, you know, some positive development in that camp, and then by the time we get to Silverstone next week, which is a place they've done okay at, so, yeah, don't rule rule them out, but it, it's looking very tough. So some final thoughts um, from that race, and I guess just the opening three weekends that we've seen uh, off Formula 1 in 2020. I already made my comments about the stewards, but also, you know, the Mercedes domination and the legacy of the old F1 structure. 2022 can't come soon enough, but, you know, there's still a lot that needs to go under the bridge. You know, next year we do have, I guess those development tokens that the teams can use, whether that's going to make much of a difference to the pecking order, but also the results from the next two years, you know, this year and next year, will set up how we get this sliding scale for aero development going in 2022. So who's going to probably, let's say, be the sacrificial lamb as far as constructors' positions go to be able to get more development tokens or, um, sorry, the be on get more you know aero development and wind tunnel runs the the following years so but at the same time i'm glad that we can take a break now this weekend and um recharge the batteries for silverstone and finally as well just you know again with the whole um the 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 cause that they're championing at the moment the we races one black lives matter as well that lewis is standing up for it just looked it was a bad look for f1 um 
the last two races, I should say, because the Styrian Grand Prix, we had the TV directors cut away from the drivers in the pre-race ceremony, taking a knee. Again, not all the drivers united on that front, but um, I'm kind of a little, I'm a bit more lenient on that. The fact that you know some drivers and their cultures and their backgrounds, it's seen as not a a nice gesture. It's seen as you know gesture of weakness, something like that. But the fact that in Hungary it was kind of not even organised, you know, it should be, if they're going to do it, they've got to do it consistently, um, not just, you know, five seconds before the race, be like, all right, let's 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 do this, and then there was no kind of unity in that, so it's that thing that we all worried about, that they've come out and they've said that they're going to get behind this cause, but then it's forgotten about very quickly, you know, they do it for one race and that's it, they've got to just do it every race, you know, they've got to keep that message consistent i know the mercedes cars are going to be black for the rest of the year lewis hamilton's got his helmet he raises the fist when he gets out of the car and wins mclaren as well with their colorful livery but they've all got to organize this a lot better so that we don't get these mixed messages and also the sport doesn't then is the sport isn't seen to be you know kind of backflipping on supporting this cause which would be pretty insulting I guess and you know even as a fan I would be insulted given that we've got behind this all together and um, you know now they've suddenly decided it's not what they want to do or because other forces political external forces are putting pressure on them it's like well you know we don't want to be associated with your brand if you want to if you want to go down this route it's like well tough because you guys are dinosaurs and you're living in the past you need to to move on even if it means they lose a lot of money as a result that's you know again that's how the world works unfortunately but um yeah i would like to see it a bit more united come the next race which is the british grand prix Let's get into some supercars then, and again, we were back at Sydney Motorsport Park for the second time this year, and going to be going there once more, but thankfully that's not until December now, so we get to have a bit of a break, but um, yeah, we we were there basically because they had to quickly cancel the Winton Super Sprint, obviously because of the border closures between the rest of the country and Victoria, (laughs) haha, insert Melbourne joke there and whatever, that's it's been kind of sad how many people have been beating up on Victoria and, and Melbourne. I guess in some way we do deserve it given all the grief that we give um, places like Sydney and New South Wales saying that we're better at everything. You know, we can make better coffee than you and uh, we've got better better restaurants, we've got better nightlife, all that sort of stuff. Like, yeah, but at the moment it's kind of like, well, there's some of us who are actually doing the right thing. You know, we wear our masks, we do our social distancing, we, you know, don't leave our houses if if it's not needed. You know, we don't do what Karen from Brighton does, for example. Look that up if you haven't already seen it. It is hilarious. And the fact that people who don't even live in Australia have... Um, seen it and retweeted it and you know even shared it with me um, makes me laugh but also cry because it's like it's true there's people like that it, it's not staged at all it's that's how pathetically dumb some people are yeah anyway let's talk racing forget about Karen you know she doesn't care about anyone else so why should we give her hoots about her <laughs> yeah so three different races no, that doesn't make sense. Three different winners from three different races. God. 
<laughs> places all over the head at the moment. Um, three different winners from three different races. The tyre rules, again, shook things up. And I guess, unlike last time, people are a bit unhappy after this weekend. So we had the night race on the Saturday and then two races on Sunday. Scott McLaughlin won the night race um, and then was third and 14th and ended up winning the points overall for the round. Um, and basically the bone of everyone's, you know, the, the bone that people are picking with this is that it's kind of a bit artificial now because we're too reliant on who's using what tyre and you can't actually get the maximum performance out of the car. Um, but my counter-argument to that is, well, it's not really a gimmick or anything. It's just you've got to now manage how you use your three, your five sets of tyres across the weekend. So you had two sets of soft tyres, three sets of hards. And when you look at the results that McLaughlin put in, he was probably the most consistent out of all of them so that's regardless of car speed like triple eight for example their weekend was not compromised by tire strategy it was more compromised by their performance that they weren't able to finish on the podium at all through the three races between shane van gisbergen and jamie wincup and as a result what that does is put a little dent in their championship aspirations but not too much i mean jamie wincup is about 100 points now behind scotty mclaughlin and yeah you do get 100 points per race if we're using this three race format across the weekend so you know scotty and djr team penske have proved that you know if you play your cards right you can get some good results but you know other teams i guess where where you know we we see now other people are doing well is that who aren't really in championship contention, they're going to put all their eggs into one basket and be like, right, we're going to go out in this race and we're going to we're going to win that, get a good one good result for the weekend, and then probably get two average results or less than average results. While you know, seeing guys like Scott McLaughlin, Chaz Mostert, even they you know get three like consistent results, whether they're average or they're really really good, and as a result, their championship leads or you know their advantages that they have slowly um continue to move forwards and you know it'd be surprised even though we haven't seen Chaz on the podium since Adelaide that he's still sitting third in the championship so there we go that's the consistency we're talking about so it was an important weekend too for for team Penske Penske eight wide apparently there was um eight Penske cars racing across the world in the weekend so we had IndyCar winners as well Simon Pagano on the Saturday in Iowa from last position on the grid <laughs> coming to win that race that was pretty epic and then Joseph Newgarden as well on the Sunday um, race winning there uh, from Will Power as well so um, Penske won two finish there and I think in, in did they I don't know if they won in IMSA um, they might have won the NASCAR Junior Series the one that um, the Penske boss Tim Sindrick, his son is racing Austin Sindrick, so another win for him there. Not that I follow NASCAR, so I'm not going to really delve into that much. But yeah, important weekend for Team Penske all over the world, and just shows you how amazing this organization is. And hey, don't forget, he now owns IndyCar as well, Roger Penske, the IndyCar Championship, and also the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which we're getting close to the Indy 500. It's not the month of May, it's the month of August, so that's going to be exciting when, when they get there, and guys like Fernando Alonso come into it as well, but again, a shame that Scott McLaughlin can't go over there this year to do to do IndyCar, so 
Right, let's stay on track. Let's stay on um, supercars. And yeah, again with Triple Eight, Shane Van Gisbergen, he adopted similar strategy th- throughout all three races. He ran long into the first stints. Um, he was leading the races on a couple of occasions, but again, just the car speed at the moment is kind of um, hurting them. So not the tire um, performance. And it's kind of good to see that because I thought. And this is where I came out and said at the start of the year that I reckon the the new parity rules and the the switch to the control shock absorber and everything would be something that benefits Triple Eight, given that they were so vocal about parity last year. But no, that hasn't been the case. They've genuinely lacked the car speed over the last couple of rounds, especially in Sydney. So they're going to have to make a comeback when we get to Darwin next time round. And um, DGR Team Penske, Scott McLaughlin, still the guys to beat. So there, there's that little thing. And, you know, Triple Eight always come good anyway towards the end of the year. So I wouldn't be too concerned yet if I was them. It's if we get to, you know, somewhere like Bathurst, you know, we get to the Bathurst 1000 in October and they're not up there, you know, and they're kind of 300 points behind or 400 points behind in the championship, that's when you'd be like, okay, it's over. That's the last one I'm going to say. <laughs> that's the, that's it. That's it. But as far as the other results go across the weekend, so we had um, Brad Jones Racing really have a good weekend. So last time out, um, they had Nick Perkat winning the second race on the weekend. He ended up winning again um, that second race, pretty much like a carbon copy of race uh, race ten. I think. Oh, sorry, bleh, bleh. race eight. I think it was so race eleven. He was able to win. This time, he and Fabian Coulthard had saved their soft tires for that race. So. They both did really well, uh, but Brad Jones racing across the board. They have four cars now in the championship with um, Jack Smith having joined as a rookie this year. So both he and Macaulay Jones got their career best results in the top 10. So uh, Smith finished P10 in the same race that Perkat won and Macaulay Jones in the night race ended up P8, which is his best result as a solo driver. And then Todd Hazelwood, Todd Hazelwood in race 12 on Sunday ended up on the podium and it was so gutting that last time out um, on the previous round that we didn't see him make the podium, he looked so strong in that final race but he was able to pull it off this time, there was a bit of a close battle at the end of that race, you know, with David Reynolds um, fighting there with Rick Kelly, I think, sorry not Rick Kelly, um, with Andre Heimgartner and Todd Hazelwood for a spot on the podium, but um, Todd had the better tyres at that point and got past David Reynolds, which I guess caused a lot of the um, the angst about the tyre rules because Barry Ryan, who had to engineer David Reynolds over the weekend because his regular engineer, Alistair McVean, couldn't uh, make it out of Melbourne to the Sydney uh, before the lockdown, so... Yeah, um, Barry was egging him on to, to get on the podium, to, to be staunch in his defence, not let Todd pass, but as a result, you know, because Hazelwood had the better tyres ultimately and was able to get past, so that left um, those guys pretty filthy, and we all know how uh, Barry Ryan is when uh, something goes wrong. <laughs> Again, you know, the, the, the Australian Gunter Steiner, you know, the Steiner of um, supercars, I like to say. So, yeah, they weren't happy about that, but um, Todd was able to get past he then really pressured Andre Heimgartner who was the pole sitter for that race but couldn't get the job done and as a result the winner of that race was Jack LeBrock in the um, Tickford Mustang super cheap auto car so amazing amazing maiden victory for, for Jack there considering and if you have followed LeBrock's career 
the last two years since he made his debut in supercars last year was such an awkward year and it was there was a lot of uncertainty as to whether he would actually be racing this year or not you know given all the fallout that he had with techno last year and you know the, the how the relationship broke down um but to come back you know to a team that he's been familiar with in tickford take up that car that Chaz mostert vacated and be the team's first winner since Mostert last year going back to the Australian Grand Prix in March so well over a year since that team's won a race and um, LeBrock in that 55 car really did a good job to to win there and Andre Heimgartner he started on pole unfortunate that he couldn't break through for his first win but as I've said you know the previews leading up to the restart to supercars I've said look out for those Kelly racing cars look out for Andre Heimgartner he's been very quick so I don't think um, he's too far off a win either soon and going back to race 11 with Perkout winning there was another close close battle for P um, for P3 for the podium like we had the same race on the previous round the Saturday morning race sorry the Sunday morning race and uh you had Scott McLaughlin there, James Courtney, Rick Kelly and Chaz Mostert fighting for third. Basically, Scott was able to pip James Courtney on the line. It was like a photo finish. Disappointing that Courtney couldn't finish on the podium for his new team at Tickford. And then Rick Kelly as well getting absolutely mugged by both Mostert and McLaughlin. And yeah, Mostert again getting up there for a good result. So such an epic race, such good racing at the moment. I know people are upset and a bit filthy about the tyre rules, perhaps making it a bit artificial in their eyes, but I don't think that's the case. The thing is, you know, Sydney Motorsport Park is a track that has a lot of degradation. It's very hard on the tyres, so the question was going to be when we got to Winton, which we didn't get to, unfortunately, this year, whether it would be the same story, but we're going to have to find out in Darwin instead next time. So, you know, and that as well, you know, calendar-wise, it's um, looking like there might be a couple more changes. Like, they confirmed that there's going to be a doubleheader now in Darwin, so we've got the Triple Crown and then the Darwin Super Sprint on... uh, consecutive weekends the teams have now currently uh gone into their hubs on uh into their hubs in queensland so you know obviously the queensland based teams will get to go back to their factories but the ones who had to make the trip from victoria they're basically you know set up in other places so places like tick uh Teams like Tickford, sorry, they're set up at SeaWorld, which was a bit um, bit funny. Some people found it funny, but, um, you know, they can have unlimited rides on the monorail or the Bermuda Triangle ride up there. Uh, I think, yeah, Bermuda Triangle was probably the only ride that I really enjoyed when I went to SeaWorld, but mind you, that was more than 10 years ago. Um, and the and the monorail as well, that was probably the best part as well, just sit on that, go around and around and around. Um, and, you know, Erebus there... Erebus and Penrite Racing, they're housed at um, Morwell Motorsport Park, which is um, Paul Morris's facility up there, and um, I think Team 18, Charlie Schwerkold's team, has uh, taken refuge with uh, old Ross Stone, who, you know, got his Super Utes team set up and running, of course. If you're familiar with supercars, um, old supercars teams, then, you know, Stone Brothers Racing, Ross Stone, such a cornerstone of the sport in the early 2000s, and the three back-to-back championships they won between Marcus Ambrose and Russell Ingle. 
of course, the history of that team is that um, in 2013, they ended up selling to Betty Clemenko, and that's how Erebus Motorsport was born in supercars. Um, and yeah, you know, the rest is history. So yeah, good to see uh, Ross Stone opening the doors for, for a team there. And quickly, while we're talking about um, Team 18, it was a result that could have been for Mark Frosty Winterbottom. He could have been up there in the final race, but there was a um, slow pit stop and then the air spike wasn't taken out by the mechanic. And as a result, um, Frosty drove off and ripped the air spike out. So I think there might have been a penalty applied to him for an unsafe release. But um, yeah, I think a good result might be coming their way as well because they've certainly put in the hard work. So... That's that, and yeah, you know, they're currently all in Queensland at the moment, it's about a 24-hour trip to, to Darwin by road, you know, to think, you know, you're on the, you're kind of in the top end of Australia when you're in Queensland, but heading to the proper top end, which is, you know, Northern Territory in Darwin, it's it's a whole other story, so doubleheader in Darwin, potentially a doubleheader in Townsville as well, um, with, I guess, Sandown perhaps looking a bit unlikely at the moment, given the situation, it's about I think 10 weeks or maybe just under 10 weeks until the Sandown 500 is scheduled it's uh, mid-September that one and our lockdown in Victoria was supposed to go for another five weeks or something and chances are there's going to be probably a further lockdown as well so it's just going to become a nightmare if they were to try and stage a Sandown 500 even if it was behind closed doors because with the border restrictions too, allowing teams and, you know, drivers to come in and then fly out again, it's, it's you know, pretty hard. And when you look at sports like AFL who've relocated to outside of Victoria, you know, all the Victorian teams and also NRO as well with the Melbourne Storm, now based out of the Central Coast, yeah, it's just not the place to be at the moment. <laughs> Which is ironic because I remember, like, old Victorian number plates from, from you know, a while ago, maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, it was Victoria, the place to be, and I think I saw some Simpsons-related meme about that, where it's like, yeah, it's not the place to be right now, so, yeah, that's that's supercars for you, and again, glad that we have a bit of a break before we, we get back to racing. So, we'll wrap things up with MotoGP, I won't spend too much time on it, but what a race to get us um, underway for the season on two wheels, Fabio Quattararo winning the race, I knew a win was coming for Fabio this year and didn't expect it to come in the first race, and you got to say, genuine championship contender for this year, even though he's actually on a satellite Yamaha bike, and I think this is the first time that a satellite Yamaha has won in MotoGP, I mean, the satellite Hondas, when you look at Cal Crutchlow, um, they've won in the past, a Ducati, I think they might have won, a Pramac Ducati might have won a race, don't quote me on that, but Yamaha won two finish with Quattararo from Vinales, again, Vinales a championship contender, Andrea Davizioso finishing third, which, you know, is a miracle considering where Ducati are at performance-wise, they're quite a way behind at the moment, but also for Dovi, he dislocated his collarbone I think three weeks ago or something um, in a motocross accident and for him to come back and finish third um, it was a bit disappointing because you know Jack Miller was holding third for pretty much the whole race and I'm like yes you know Viva Miller and everything and suddenly you know Dovi comes and gets that third off him but it's a good result for Dovi too hot weekend as far as the weather is concerned this time of year the south of Spain Andalucia would be scorching so a very big test of their endurance um and also 
given that it was a testing weekend, we saw quite a few injuries come out of it too, which was not very good to see. You know, we had Alex Rinzen qualifying go down, and I think he did his collarbone. Cal Crutchlow in the warm up as well had a broken hand, uh, you know, along those lines, and saw some picture of him getting stitches done. And then Mark Marquez, Mark Marquez, bloody hell, he had such a wild race. He went off the bike first at turn four, but managed to save it and keep racing. He dropped down um, quite a few positions, but then the way he came back to get himself back into contention with the top three, it's like, okay, I think today Mark Marquez is going to be his own worst enemy because, um, you know, you don't turn into angry mode and for there not to be further consequences after that. And as a result, again, at turn four, he had this horrific high side um, and he was on the ground for quite some time. The stretcher came, the medics came, uh, got him on there. And then there was the images that we saw of him in a neck brace too. He couldn't move one of his arms and it was confirmed that he broke his arm um, after the race and he went went straight to hospital and uh, got that operated on. And you would not believe leave it like if I had recorded this a couple of days ago then I wouldn't be as shocked as I am today but he's going to race this weekend he's been declared fit by the FIM medical staff to race again this weekend so this is why these guys are insane they're absolutely bonkers that you know he broke his arm last week he's going to jump on the bike this weekend and race so I guess given that it's a truncated championship as well there's less races and mark of course wants to go for that um seventh um premier class title he'd be his ninth overall he'd equal valentino rossi's record he doesn't want to let slip to his rivals so he wants to get on the bike he wants to race and kudos to him it's it's incredible like you would not expect that in any other sport (laughs) so it's crazy he's going to be drugged up like hell for sure so yeah, that was great, that was entertaining, um, you know, I guess it kind of was weird because, you know, that was such great race, and then the F1 race after that was a bit of a letdown, but hey, that's what happens, and um, I'm kind of glad we've got MotoGP again this weekend, because at least I can watch that, you know, without having to do all the stuff that I do for F1, you know, the live blogging and everything, so it's going to be more of a, a relaxing weekend um, with just the one race to have to to watch and to cover if need be. But um, yeah, otherwise that that pretty much is it. You know, thanks for again tuning in. You know, you can always find us on Twitter at hit the apex media. Get in touch. Um, you know, some shout outs there to the Outlap F1 podcast and copy that mate as well. Um, two podcasts that I listened to this week that were really really uplifting you know it was a bit rough earlier on in the week and um a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes and personally as well and amongst all this um pandemic business too so it was really uplifting to to hear your podcast guys and thank you for for doing your best as always and you know getting the mention as well on outlap with the little thoughts on bottas that i sent through to the guys too so you know appreciate you guys reading that out and um that so yeah and i really loved the the hot ones concept for um for copy that mate you know the hot ones series that chris evans oh it's not chris evans sean evans does on youtube for um first we feast seeing that put into put into an f1 context is pretty cool and um yeah it looks a lot looks like a lot of fun so yeah you know thanks guys um 
for that and also you know thank you guys listeners my listeners for tuning in and we'll be back next week for our british grand prix preview so stay safe stay healthy and stay positive ciao